Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we definitely complicate things, but this really is simple. Whosoever believes. So Lord, we ask now that you would help us understand, clarify this for us, teach us, and show us how much you truly love us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a poem. You probably would find it familiar, but it goes like this. On a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross, where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. 
For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. In the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, such a wonderful beauty I see. For twas on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. To the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. George Bernard, he was converted at the age of 22, the author of this poem turned into song, through an evangelistic, the evangelistic ministry of the Salvation Army. And he penned the lyrics to this well-known hymn. He was an itinerant Methodist preacher and his favorite scripture, can you guess, was John 3, 16. It was from dwelling upon this particular verse and the life of Christ that this hymn was written. Now, this song, written by a gentleman from the Midwest, grew up in Ohio and lived a large portion of his life in Michigan, died in Michigan. This song is known all over the globe. And of course, this hymn is about salvation. As we continue with our series, Top Questions You Asked Google, the question this morning is, what is salvation? What is salvation? In the way that the Old Testament begins the story of God's creation, it starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the Old Testament starts like that. The book of John begins its account of the behind-the-scenes story of the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of, of, the, of the world, of men, of humanity. John's introduction continues describing the incarnation of the creator God, the rejection of humanity towards him, and yet the promise of God to reclaim all those who believe in his name. The rest of the book of John details how these described realities played out during the time of Jesus's ministry. And so in the book of John, each conversation, each one-on-one -on -one interview, each miracle, each healing, each sign was specifically for this purpose for the purpose of reclaiming the sons and daughters of God. John chapter one, 
Verse 12 and 13 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For this purpose, the book of John reads. The well-known scripture, John 3.16, comes as a part of a dialogue from one of Jesus' one-on-one conversations during his ministry. John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, we read it in our text of emphasis, but we'll look at it again. John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, as it said, he was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were made up of laymen, influential business owners, and middle-class Jews. And the Pharisees believed that the interpretations of the law, of the Torah, by the rabbis were to be upheld just as the written Torah. So the rabbis, they would read the Torah, and then based on the interpretation, that too must be kept as if it was law. They forced their numerous and rigid interpretations of the law on on all of Jewish, Jewish society, thus putting emphasis on works of religion and traditions. They had made a living faith lifeless, burdensome, and robotic. And so after hearing about the lowly Galilean teacher, Jesus's fame had spread, For fear of the Jews, Nicodemus came and approached him at night. Verse three through six says this of John chapter three. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Although Nicodemus never actually asked a question, (laughs) Jesus' response addressed the misdirection of the educated Pharisee. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But do you know what Jesus did not say? Jesus didn't say, unless one keeps all the laws and traditions of the elders, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He also didn't say, unless one is of the elite society, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
He also didn't say, unless one is perfect, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He, said, he also didn't say, unless one has it all together, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one has it all figured out, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, none of that. Jesus hit right at the heart of Nicodemus's false understanding of the kingdom of God. And know this, the kingdom of God is not made up of people who keep the law perfectly according to their own standards, with their own methods. The kingdom of God is made up of people who have been changed who have been transformed, those who have had a spiritual rebirth, those who the Spirit of God lives in. Look at what Jesus says in, three, in verse three and five. If you look closely and compare, you'll see a slight difference. I used to think that, it, that Jesus repeated the same thing twice, but he did not. <laughs> Watch this, verse three, he says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Look at verse five. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See in verse three, enter in verse five. First he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What is Jesus talking about? What exactly is this sea? This sea. This means to know. Unless one is able to know, to identify. Let me give you some examples. Some, uh, see, being acquainted with or having a familiar relationship with the kingdom of heaven, being able to identify that which is from God. Now, in the Bible, there are approximately 20 different types of seeing where it uses the word see, and it means something a little different every time it's used. But in this case, let me give you some examples of where else this type of sea is used. Matthew 2, verse 2, the wise men are coming because the baby Jesus was born, and they said this, we have seen, we have what? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. We have seen it. They saw something that was familiar to them. They knew that star. They knew it was Jesus' star to know. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus is getting baptized, and the Bible says that he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. He knew that spirit. It was familiar. He knew it was the Spirit of God. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. He was familiar. John 20, verse 25, Jesus had been crucified. He resurrected and was walking around town. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, said, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails. What was Thomas saying? Unless I see the hands that I know. 
unless I see them with nails, I won't believe. There has to be a familiarity, a knowing of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, you cannot see the kingdom of God, he's saying, you will not be able to recognize it. You won't know it. You can't identify it. In fact, you couldn't spot it out if it was standing right in front of you, Nicodemus, to see. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you have been born again, born of the Spirit. I remember some years back, uh, 2011, I spent some time on the island of Guam, and uh, I was making, uh, I was in, in uh, contact with the people who were supposed to pick me up from the airport. I was flying from Michigan all the way to Guam. And they didn't send me a picture of who I was supposed to be looking for to pick up or to, uh, to go with or who was coming to pick me up. And so I kind of just waited. I didn't know how they were going to identify me or... Anyway, so I get off the, uh, the airplane and I head out to the baggage claim and there's a line of people with signs that say your name. Because if your taxi driver, if your ride doesn't know who you are, doesn't see your face, in order to identify you or get, get you to come towards them, they'll put your name on a piece of paper. There was none of that for me. <laughs> In fact, they were like three hours late. <laughs> and so there were a few people waiting outside and all of a sudden, after, that, after those long three hours, this car pulls up, and they looked at me, and they motioned me over. <laughs> and um, they're like, you're Michelle, right? And I said, yeah, I am Michelle. They're like, all right, hop in. <laughs> How did you know it was me? You look Adventist. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> They were familiar, there was a familiarity about me, about the experience. That's how they identified me. Same with the kingdom of God. It's something that you can spot. It's something that you're familiar with. It's something that you can see. And so Jesus says, you must be born again and able to get that kind of vision. You must be born again. But then look, look at verse five, it's a little different. Jesus says you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't say you won't see it. He says you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born first of water and of the spirit. You cannot enter. No one gets into heaven without a washing away of sins without a, a watery death, a burial of the old, and, and, and the ushering of a new person through the resurrection, through their resurrection. No one gets in without the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God brings new life. It's the creative spirit. When God created the earth, 
brand new in Genesis chapter one, verse one and two, there were some elements that were there that we see repeated here in John. Genesis chapter one, verse two, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. We see both water and the spirit during the creation of the earth. And then we find the same parallel when we go to John chapter three and Jesus says, you must be born again, born of the water and the spirit. It's interesting to see how God has these patterns. And so now in John, he's not recreating the earth, he's recreating human beings. He's recreating human beings. But if I simplify this, what Jesus is actually calling for, he's calling for a cleansing, a death to the old life and a resurrection to the new. He's actually calling for the beginning of a new relationship with him. Let's start over. He doesn't want a relationship built on hostility. He wants a relationship built on trust and love. So as this dialogue with Jesus and Nicodemus continues, Jesus says this. Look, jump down to verse nine. Jump down to verse nine of John chapter three. This is Nicodemus responding, and then Jesus will say, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How is this possible? You know, Nicodemus reminds me of myself and every other religious leader. <laughs> there are so many things we don't understand. But Jesus obviously says, are you a teacher in Israel yet you don't understand these things? And then Jesus begins to break it down, uh, jump to verse 14. And he refers back to the Old Testament, the story of the bronze serpent, and he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The key word here, the key word is believe. Believe. This isn't just any kind of belief. This isn't simply head knowledge. It's not some type of, of awareness. No, 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 that's not what it is. It's not just a label. It's not just this traditional subscription uh, uh, to, to the realm of religion. This isn't just your preferred denomination or persuasion. This isn't the belief of your parents. It's not casual. This type of belief is active. It's an active belief. What do I mean? This belief means not only to adhere to, 
not only to trust, it means to rely on. That's what this belief means. To put weight on it. To depend on it with full trust or confidence. When I was a junior in high school, I used to run track. I was a sprinter. And fortunately, we had some really fast girls. So we, uh, we had made it to a championship, the, the preliminaries before a championship round. And earlier in that season, at the beginning of the season, that when we did trials, time trials, I had pushed a little too fast during the 100-meter sprint for my time test, and I kind of pulled, pulled the muscle. So I took it easy that season and um, did some conditioning, did some training, stretching, and um, I was ready to go for the prelims. So they switched my, uh, I usually ran anchor, the fourth leg, but they put me third leg just in case I was slow. <laughs> so we're running and we're doing the four by one meter relay. First person goes, Choom! second person, Choom! and here we go. My teammate hands it off to me and I'm flying. We gotta get in this. And I'm going, and I'm going, and all of a sudden, I hear a pop. Oh! And I slip, limping. And I couldn't put any weight on my left leg. And so I hopped on one foot to my teammate. Of course, we lost. <laughs> and we were all devastated, <laughs> especially me, because now we did not only lost, but now I couldn't walk on my left leg. So anyways, during the healing process, I would, I would kind of sample. Obviously, I was waiting for my leg to get back to full strength, and so I would, I would test it. I was using crutches, and I would see how much weight I could put on my leg. And the doctor told me I had a hairline fracture in my pelvis. But finally, when I healed, when my leg had gotten better, I took the crutches, set them aside, and I stood up. I put all my weight on the leg. I said, we're back. I put all my weight on the leg. I knew it could hold me up. I knew it could hold me up. I knew it before. I knew what it was supposed to do. But now I could put my full weight, I could rest on it. This is the type of belief Jesus is talking about. Salvation is a weighted trust and acceptance, a weighted dependence on Christ's sacrifice for our sins. And it is this belief that leads to transformation of the whole being. This belief allows the Spirit of God to begin transforming you into a son or daughter of the kingdom.
Another word for this type of belief is called faith. It's called faith. It is a readiness to submit oneself entirely and to accept God's word, to accept what he has said, to accept and believe his promises, to put weight on it, to stand on it. Faith is the instrument by which we claim God's gift of salvation on our behalf. True faith leads to a life of surrender. There's a reason why they call Abraham the father of faith. From the beginning of of his appearance in, in the narrative of scripture, the Bible says that God came to Abraham and told him, get up and go. <laughs> no directions, <laughs> no time frame, <laughs> just get up and go. Just go. And you know what he did? He went. He went. He had a wait. God has a plan. I'm going to go. What you will begin to realize is that your life theme song will begin to tune itself to songs like this. There's a, there's a hymn that I really like. It says, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. That's not the words, but I just put that in there. <laughs> and then it says, I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I sing that out of order. I'll be who you want me to be. That's the theme song of someone who lives by faith, of a surrendered life. I'll go where you want me to go, Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be who you want me to be. Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees, trying to tell Nicodemus, look, you misunderstood this whole time. I didn't come to deliver you from the Romans, Nicodemus. I came to deliver you from sin. Look, I came down here for you. Do you believe that, Nicodemus? Can you put your weight on it? Can you put your life on it? That faith, that belief is the catalyst for the work of transformation the Spirit of God is going to do in your life. Salvation is what God does for us, which allows for the process of conversion, which is what God does in us. The last critical question is simply this. Speaking about salvation, do I have it? Am I saved? Everybody wants to know, 
maybe not everybody, but those of you who've had the question, you want to know. And it's a question that many people ask because many people are uncertain. To that I say, do you believe in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice to take away your sins? Can you put your weight on it? If your answer is yes, then you're assured of your salvation. Today, right now, full stop. Don't add anything more or anything less just to that statement. No buts, no what ifs, just that. Don't add any other rules or regulations. Don't hesitate. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his power to save you from your sins? Yes. You are assured of your salvation. Salvation is not for the sinless. It's for sinners. Salvation is not lost because you've sinned. Salvation is made all the more applicable because of your sin. Salvation is tailor-fit for you and for me. One day, Jesus was sitting with the tax collectors and, and what they call the sinners, and, and the Pharisees saw him, and when they saw him, they, they started judging him. Look at this guy, he sits with thieves and sinners. And they wondered why he was sitting with the low of society. Why was he sitting with these people? And you know what Jesus said to them? Matthew 9, 12, it said, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. The goal of salvation is not to get you well enough to walk on your own. The goal of salvation is to get you well enough to realize you can't do it on your own. You must be born again. It is a revelation of our own helplessness that draws us closer to Jesus. Here's another thought. Once saved, always saved. It's not entirely biblically accurate. Even if you think about the prodigal, even if you come back to the father's house, that doesn't mean you can't leave again. Free will still applies at every step of the journey. The father will not forcefully keep those who do not want to be kept. The only way to lose salvation, and it's very hard, is when you stop believing in the role of Jesus Christ in your life when you take your weight off of it. It's as if the unbelief quenches the power of God in your soul. But trust, that, that doesn't happen without a struggle. God doesn't just let you slip away. 
No, 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 God's a fighter. He's a lover and a fighter. Here's the last thing. Feeling saved and being saved are two very different things. Salvation is based on faith. Awaited, we establish that. Awaited belief in what God has says, not how we feel. You can feel angry, you can feel guilty, you can feel, feel full of despair, you can feel unwanted and hopeless, and still be assured of your salvation. How we feel doesn't change what God has done. You better write that one down. Because we go through a lot of feelings. I go through a lot of feelings. But it doesn't change what God has done on your behalf. Here's some promises to take home with you. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So what do I do now? What does this mean for me? You know, Paul and Silas, they'd been thrown into prison for casting out a demon from this young slave girl who would make money for her owners through uh, fortune telling. They cast out the demon. And so they were so upset, they riled up a crowd and they threw Paul and Silas into prison. And during the middle of the night, they were singing and praying, singing hymns and praying. And all of a sudden, there was this great earthquake. And the earthquake opened all the prison doors and it loosed the bonds of all the prisoners the chains. So technically, they could all go free. Midnight, middle of the night. So the jailer who was on, on watch, and just know, if any one of those prisoners escapes, he dies. So he wakes up, and he's like, oh no. He sees all the prison bars open. I'm doomed. So he pulls out his sword to kill himself. And just before he does, Paul says, hold on, wait, we're all here. No one has left, we're all here. And the jailer, I imagine he was confused and happy and, you know what he said? He said, what must I do to be saved? This is, this is profound, this is miraculous. How can none of you go free? How did these doors open? What, Paul wants, what do I do to be saved? To which Paul responds, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So maybe you're wondering the same thing as this jailer. What must I do to be saved? Pray this prayer in your heart. I'll read it 
you can agree with it. Dear Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask that you would please forgive me and come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And by your grace, help me to live for you for the rest of this life. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. If that is your prayer, if that is your desire, then may God seal it with his love. On a hill far away stood an old ragged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest stand best for a world of lost sinners was So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will clean Someday for 